We're uh, taking a look at the days of Noah on Wednesday nights, and we're still in Matthew 24. You might think we're going slow in Matthew 24, and we are because there's just some misunderstandings about what Jesus said and what he meant by what he said that I think are important to clear up uh, before we can really lock into uh, the days of Noah per se. Asked about the end times, Jesus said, as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. You know who else spent a lot of time talking about Noah? And that was the Apostle Peter in his epistles. He makes several important references to those days. And so it must be an important component of the last days to take a look at what was happening in and around Noah. And so Jesus pointed us back to those days to encourage us to study their characteristics because these would also characterize the days preceding his return. Let me do a little review from our previous study, catch you up in verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. We said that Jesus was referring not to the resurrection and rapture of the church, but to his second coming. The church is not in Matthew 24 and 25, at least not directly. Jesus is talking about God's future dealings with the nation of Israel, with the physical descendants of Abraham through his son Isaac and then Jacob. It's important in studying prophecy that we understand that God is not through dealing with Israel as a nation. The church is not Israel. Israel is not the church. If you confuse the two, you won't have a clue how to interpret Bible prophecy because you'll be looking at Israel and taking their promises away from them, and it just gets really messed up. According to theologian Charles Ryrie, and I quote, the promises made to Israel are still going to be kept in the future. We can be sure that all God has said is true and will take place because of his character and consistency. The church does not replace Israel and should not expect a symbolic fulfillment of the promises of the Old Covenant. As one reads scripture, it is necessary to keep Israel and the church separate. In Romans 11, chapter 11, verse 1, we read, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. And so Paul says, any thought you have that God is through dealing with the nation of Israel as a people group, you need to dispel that thought and he specifically, he's not talking about the spiritual descendants of Abraham. He says the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin. He's talking about the physical descendants. God has not cast them away. He's still dealing with them as identifiable people group, separate from his dealings with Gentiles. And if you didn't realize it, there are Jews, and then everybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. All non-Jews are considered Gentiles. The Apostle Paul goes on to explain that Israel as a nation is under God's discipline. In the meantime, the gospel is going out to all men everywhere, Jew and Gentile. And Jesus is, in Matthew 24, he's talking about the great tribulation and the culmination of the discipline of Israel. Paul says, through Israel's fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. So currently the word that characterizes the nation of Israel is the word fall. One day the word that characterizes Israel will be fullness. And so they, they're under God's discipline. Blindness in part has come upon them. They don't see God's plan. 
They're in a fallen condition while the gospel is going out to the whole world, to the Gentile nations, Jew included, of course. Their fullness means their salvation, and that comes at the end of the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation is called in the Old Testament the time of Jacob's trouble. It has a lot of different names, but uh, specifically it is the time of Jacob's trouble to identify it as a time when though God will be dealing with the entire world and many Gentiles and Gentile nations, the time period is especially for Israel. It's the time predicted by Daniel. He calls it the 70th week of seven years, and it's that time in which God saves his people. It is specifically geared to end the fall and bring in the fullness of Israel. We know that at the end of the Great Tribulation, all the surviving Jews will look upon Jesus and they will receive him. They will know that he was their savior. And the scripture says they'll look upon him whom they have pierced and they will receive the Lord. And that will be their fullness. Israel will be full when all Israel is saved at the second coming of Jesus. Then in Romans 11, Paul says this. He says, For I did not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of a mystery, lest you be wise in your own opinion. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away all ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so these verses are actually very clear. The nation of Israel is being disciplined, but God will save them in the end when they recognize their Deliverer, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Currently, God is saving whosoever will believe. These saved whosoevers he refers to as the fullness of the Gentiles. Now, if in this chapter the fullness of Israel meant their salvation, then the fullness of the Gentiles also means our salvation. Israel is going to remain under discipline until a specific group of believers is saved. We identify that group as the church. It will be full when the last believer of the church age is saved and the Lord raptures us home. Church is not on the earth during the great tribulation. We are safe in heaven, having been resurrected and raptured. This fullness of the Gentiles is another reason I believe the rapture is presented as an imminent, any moment event in the Bible. The rapture will happen when the last believer of the church age receives Jesus Christ. It isn't tied to any calendar event or any feast of Israel. It could happen during a feast or it could happen at any moment. It will happen when the Gentile church, when the church is full, when the last person who's going to get saved in this age receives the Lord. And this is why perhaps Peter, in his letter, made the interesting comment that we hasten the coming of the Lord. He said that we should try to hasten the coming of the Lord. And one of the meanings of that word is to accelerate His coming. You should think of yourself as being able to accelerate the coming of the Lord. If the Lord was coming on a particular calendar day, it would be impossible to speak of accelerating His return to rapture us. If the Lord was coming on my birthday, which just happens to be July 3rd. No, anyway. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. You know, for years I thought I was born on the 4th of July and then they broke the news to me. But anyway, 
if, if, uh, if the Lord was coming on July 3rd, there's no way to really accelerate his coming. He's coming on July 3rd. If he's coming during a feast day one year, there's no way to accelerate his coming. He's coming during that feast. The only way you can accelerate his coming is if it doesn't fall on any particular calendar day, but could happen at any moment. And if it's tied into this fullness idea that one day that group of people, just like at the end of the tribulation, all living Jews will be saved, that, that they will be full, the fullness of Israel. One day, the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. All those that are going to be saved during the time between the first coming and second coming of Christ, that's done, and the church is taken home. And so the rapture must be an imminent event. And now you can accelerate his coming by telling more people about him because among those people is the last person before we are snatched away. It's a, it's, it's a pretty powerful uh, impetus for evangelism to think that you could be witnessing to the last person who's going to receive the Lord and then be snatched away. It kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, when Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. He came up out of the water and Philip was gone, raptured away. Uh, the eunuch went on into Ethiopia and spread the gospel there, but you know, all of a sudden you're just going to be gone. And so it could be the last person could be in Hanford, why not? God's done weirder things than that, hasn't he? Can any good thing come out of Hanford? Armona, Lamore? Imagine, you should think that the last believer of the church age could be in Riverdale right now. Right? I haven't made any Riverdale jokes in a long time, so I had to get caught up on that. G. Campbell Morgan, a great expositor of Bible prophecy and the Word of God, wrote, I never lay my head on the pillow without thinking that perhaps before I awake, the final morning may have dawned. I never begin my work without thinking that he may interrupt it to begin his own. Every night before we go to sleep, we ought to say, he may come. Every day when we get our tools and go to work, we say, this may be the last day's work I'll ever do. Only a person who believes in the imminent rapture can think that way and live that way. Otherwise, I mean, you can be excited about the Lord. I'm not saying people who, you know, you, that you couldn't be excited about the Lord and his coming, but you can't know he's coming today if you've set a date or you have a particular idea in mind of when he's coming. And so any, uh, any post-tribulation rapture and other times during the tribulation kind of get X'd out. We'll talk about that in a minute. Now, we said when we were here last time that the phrase, no one knows the day and the hour, was a familiar Jewish idiom. I want to hit this again because I think it's important. This is something we get wrong. The Feast of Trumpets began each year when two witnesses saw the first sliver of the new moon. Until they told the priest they had sighted it, he could not announce the beginning of the feast. When I would go to bed on Christmas Eve as a little kid, I thought I would never get to sleep because you're just so pumped with excitement here in the United States with all the gifts and presents and all that. And um, my family wasn't Christian, and so there were, that was it. It was just the train and the gifts, you know, and stuff. But So I'm all pumped for that. And I knew that it was Christmas morning because we had a particular uh, song that they would play on the phonograph. We'd put a, put a record on the phonograph, and it was I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, I think. But I would wake up to that. That was how they woke us up, and then I knew that it was Christmas. 
And that was the announcement. And so the people, the Israelites don't know when it's the Feast of Trumpets. It's like the 4th of July is coming up, and if you want to wait up till midnight, you know, then midnight on the 3rd, or on the, then it becomes the 4th. They didn't know when the Feast of Trumpets, they kind of had an idea of when it was going to fall, but until the announcement was made, they couldn't know the day or the hour. And so this uh, idiom developed. The high priest would tell people, no one knows the day and hour of the festival until the moon is sighted. And so Jesus seems to be saying that he's going to return at the end of the Great Tribulation on the Feast of Trumpets. And that to me is not a date setting because Jesus has already fulfilled four of the spring, uh, well, the four spring festivals, and he fulfilled them on the exact day that they occurred, uh, Passover and then First Fruits, and uh, I always forget one of them. Pentecost comes after that. What's the other one? First fruits? Uh, unleavened bread. Pentecost, or Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and then Pentecost. All fulfilled the exact day as Jesus uh, predicted. And so it's normal to expect that in his second coming, he will also fulfill the fall feasts of uh, trumpets and tabernacles and the Day of Atonement. And, and, so the, and when he says, no one knows the day or the hour, he doesn't really mean no one knows the day or the hour. He means I'm probably coming during the Feast of Trumpets. That's what's happening. And so verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now we're going to get back to Genesis chapter 6 where we see the kind of marriages Jesus was referring to. The sons of God, we're going to show you they are fallen angels, somehow married and mated with human women, and they produced giants, a race of monsters called the Nephilim. First, we want to finish looking at Jesus' reference to the days of Noah. It says in verse 39, they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. A key to understanding the next few verses is to ask, who was taken away at the time of the flood? The answer is the non-believers were taken away by the flood to death and judgment. Noah and his family were kept safe through the flood to be left on the earth and to repopulate it. They were not taken away. They were, to use rapture terminology, they were left behind. And so this, again, is not the rapture of the church. I know, uh, with apologies to Larry Norman, and then later DC Talk, I love that song, you know, Will You Be Left Behind. Uh, the one, the two that are out in the field, the one that's taken away isn't taken away to the rapture, they're taken away to judgment, because we're talking about the second coming. Verse 40, the two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left, two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Sounds like the rapture, but it isn't, it's the second coming. By the way, this is a strong reason why the rapture cannot be post-tribulational. Post meaning after the tribulation. There are those who believe that Jesus raptures the church as he is returning in his second coming. Church is taken up, and then we just come right back down with him. Kind of like the old Tower of Terror, which is now Guardians of the Galaxy. You go up, and then you go down. But uh, that's not possible, and here's why. If all living believers at the end of the Great Tribulation are raptured, and all non-believers are judged and sent to Hades, there would be no one left on the earth to repopulate the human race. 
There'd be no living human beings on the earth, just the translated glorified church, Jesus, his angels, and everybody else will be sent off to judgment who's not a believer. And so the rapture has to take place before the end of the tribulation. And we believe it takes place at any moment, certainly before the tribulation begins. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. The Bible is very precise in describing the timing of the tribulation. Daniel called it the 70th week of God's prophetic calendar of 490 years, and it means a week of years or seven years. The two halves of the tribulation are described as a time and times and half a time. The two halves of it are described as 1,260 days. It has a distinct beginning, middle, and end. It begins when the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel, guaranteeing their safety and allowing them to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. At its midpoint, that Antichrist enters the Holy of Holies in the temple and desecrates it by demanding to be worshipped. And the tribulation ends with the second coming of Jesus Christ during a great battle on the earth in the Valley of Megiddo that we call the Battle of Armageddon. Daniel and John in the Revelation both speak of an, un an expanded period of 1,290 days. They add an additional 30 days after the tribulation before the kingdom age begins. It seems that those additional days are when Jesus judges the nations, the famous uh, separation of the sheep and the goats, in anticipation of the 1,000-year kingdom. Now, I told you last time, and if you read through Revelation, you know this is true. The sun will be darkened. The moon is turned into blood, as it were. Uh, there'll be cosmic changes, and it will, I believe, be impossible to actually tell accurate time towards the end of the tribulation. The entire day-night cycle uh, will be interrupted. Uh, you, won't, you, you won't know what day it is at all. So although the tribulation is going to end at a very specific point, Seven years after it began, uh, those on earth at the time will not, they'll have a pretty good idea of that they're getting close to it, uh, but they won't know the exact time. They'll see the signs in the general timing, but not the exact moment. It speaks of having a great sense of anticipation that builds and builds. But those who survive and know it's near, they keep looking up for Jesus in his second coming. Amen? Amen.